Super Talk Mississippi media production. Fordofcorinth.com is having a 2023 inventory blowout sale. Check out all of last year's models in the lot, which must be moved. Bring your enthusiasm and your down payment. Let our team of finance professionals remove the test so you can just drive off our lot. Fordofcorinth.com. What's up on a Friday? I'm Brian Scott Riffey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. It is Mailbag Friday. The People's Holiday is back, as Borky pointed out. I uh, was real pumped about that on the internet as I was asking for questions. Uh, I think that mostly stemmed from we've had a couple week turnouts in a row, and so I was just like, great, here we go again. I would have to beg for questions on the internet, which is one of my least favorite exercises. But we got a pretty good turnout, so I guess me begging on the podcast uh, instead of begging on the internet works out better. So got a ton of questions to get to. We, uh, we'll have the LB's pick them probably, well, not last LB's pick them of the year, but what the last football one really, aside from the Super Bowl, is this, there's only three meaningful football games left in the year. We'll get into some of that, probably hit some of the baseball sign stealing stuff, just cause I find that interesting. And then we got a request to talk more golf. I don't know how much of that can be done this week, but, uh, We'll definitely keep that in mind for the future. What's up? Not a whole lot, man. I've uh, like I was. I'm always fully on board and have been uh, forever. But uh, the New Orleans uh, basket birds are like actually good now. It wasn't just like a cute little story that oh they're playing better. You know they're beating bad teams, but like they took it to the Jazz last night when. Um, like, the Jazz were at full strength, and Donovan Mitchell was exceptional. And they beat them last night to win 4 of 5 and 8 of 11. Like, they're actually good now with Zion coming back. So I'm pumped up today. Yeah, the two hottest young teams in the league, believe it or not, are kind of odd, reside in Memphis and New Orleans right now. And I imagine once Zion Williamson gets back, like, if you're, ta- if you're taking just absolute, like, title contenders out of it, Probably the two most fun teams to watch in the NBA right now, if you're just watching regular season, are those two as well. Uh, the Grizzlies are a hell of a lot of fun. I've been watching a bunch of them lately. Uh, they are, uh, they're on fire. And not only, like a couple weeks ago, it was kind of like, oh, they might crack the eight seed. Well, they might get top seven or six. And then the Pelicans have a puncher's shot at the eight seed as well. So uh, the two- They do. They're only three games back. And for some reason... It- I don't watch enough of them to know, but there are smart basketball people that think that the Thunder are about to free fall. And I don't know why that is. Uh, but th- so, like, people talk that Memphis could overtake Oklahoma City at the seven and Oklahoma City could fall out of the playoffs, which, again, I don't watch them enough to know, but I- I've seen multiple basketball people suggest that that's about to happen. It might be a trade type of thing. I don't know who would take Chris Paul's contract, but you could trade Gallinari and some other pieces. But they're in a good spot anyway. I mean, they got like 11 billion first-rounders and um, Shea Alexander for Paul George. So, yeah, it's been fun. It'll be fun. It's kind of interesting that the two two of the more interesting young teams in the NBA are Memphis and New Orleans. You just need the Orlando Magic to somehow become interesting. And uh, you'll have all three kind of – historically irrelevant franchises in the South alive and well. <laughs> and it might be happening. Markel Fultz is kind of balling. Beat the Lakers the other night at Sable Center. Anyway, good times ahead for the NBA and South. I am excited to see Zion, though. What, January 22nd? That's a... It's Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay, Wednesday. Yeah, against the Spurs. It, it, what's, it's so funny. And no, the team should not 
uh, debut him on, like, worry about that for a national TV audience. But they, they're missing an opportunity on uh, Saturday when they play uh, the Clippers on ABC. And then I think Monday or Tuesday they have uh, – it's got to be Monday, right? Uh, they have the, the Grizzlies in Memphis on MLK Day. And instead, they're bringing him back against the Spurs uh, on a, and that Grizzlies game is a TNT game. So they're missing a chance to debut him against Kawhi and the Clippers on ABC at Memphis against John Morant on MLK Day on Monday on TNT. Instead, they're bringing him back to play the Spurs when it's only on the local channel that nobody gets outside of like the boot of Louisiana and the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Uh, that kind of sucks, and I guess there's not a chance it gets flexed to anything else. I wonder if they could do like NBA TV or something. It's too late to flex it to ESPN for some reason. I don't know why, but it's too late for that. Well, NBA's alive and well. It's kind of uh, this is like seems like the NBA season really starts on Christmas, and then people forget about it for like one more month, and then February on into the playoffs is kind of when the peak. So exciting uh definitely exciting times ahead for the nba in the south if that is your cup of tea but really like if you're if you're in mississippi which obviously most of our listeners are that in atlanta and birmingham it seems uh like you're talking about driving distance to see two of the top young stars in the nba i mean you don't you don't really have to go very far which is uh nice and convenient so that'll be cool i need to get down to a pelicans game and up to a grizz game soon we have a bunch of questions as i mentioned a pretty good turnout a uh, pretty wide variety of stuff. Most of them having to do with Ole Miss. We got some baseball questions, which baseball season starts in, I believe, exactly a month. Ole Miss hosts Louisville, the number one team in college baseball, a month from today, if I'm not mistaken. Do What's you like today? that starting the season with the best team in in baseball? Do you think that's good or a bad way to start a season? Uh I don't know. Ole Miss has done it in the. Well, I say that. Opus usually has this type of series. Like, they usually have one high-profile home series in most years, like the second or third weekend. As far as the first, sure, I'm fine with it. It'll, it's, uh, I guess from an interest standpoint, it's, uh, it's good. You remember a couple years ago, that 2018 team started out with East Carolina, <laughs> excuse me, East Carolina, who was uh, like six or seven. That was one of Cliff, God- Cliff Godwin's first teams. They were a top-ten team. And then had UNC Wilmington, one of Mark Scalp's last teams, who was a top twenty-five team, and I think they ran through that at like either six and zero or five and one, and got all hyped up and whatever, and it was good for viewership. And obviously, things didn't turn out so well after that. That was, uh, I guess, that was seventeen. That was Kessinger and all them freshman year when they struggled so bad. So I don't know. I think you can give a team early confidence for sure, but. Eh, you know, I mean, you're going to get tested at some point in the non-conference. Why not make it first weekend? I do like it. It's on campus. Those games, uh, just from a coverage standpoint, when they go play those tournament games against good teams, like the the Minute Maid Park deal, and I believe both Ole Miss and State are going to ballpark at Arlington, the new one in a couple years. Um, you know, I, it, I guess it's better to have them on campus from uh, at least from my perspective. Yeah, I don't like that. And uh, it's good for the players to play in major league parks. I bet that's awesome. I, I mean, I, I got to play – on a few small college stadiums in high school, and I thought that was awesome. So I can't imagine, like, playing in a major league park. I bet that's really cool. I hate those tournaments, though. Like, I would much rather have uh, – who did Ole Miss play a few years ago? It was it was Baylor and Texas Tech and somebody else in Houston. I, I want to say TCU, but I could be wrong about that. It was a couple of Texas schools, Ole Miss and someone. They got smoked. 
that was the same year I was talking about with the ECU thing. Um, it was kind of like, okay, maybe these guys aren't actually that good. Like that was kind of a litmus test that they didn't pass. But yeah, I can't. I think it may have been TCU, but I can't really remember. Would much rather have those games played on campus. Like in two weeks here, in terms of the radio show, like we'll start baseball season with Ole Miss Louisville, and then the next week Oregon State goes to Starkville. I'd much rather that than them play those games in Houston or wherever. Yeah, I agree. Uh, as long as you can kind of get a balance of both, because I guess program-wise, like those are kind of showcases. So for the program, uh, I guess it's pretty good exposure. I mean, like what state? Not too long ago, go into the Dodger Town Classic. I think Ole Miss is actually due for one of those in a couple of years. I can't remember, but yeah, certainly easier to get to when they're around here. Uh, but that kind of transitioned us into our first question: Which freshman do you see making impacts for Ole Miss this year? Um, I guess the easy answer to this would be Derek Diamond. Uh, I believe he will probably end up as the Sunday starter. Um, you know, but outside of that, I, I, I don't know. The outfield's kind of a mess. Like you don't really know what's going to happen with that. But uh, I, I guess the easy answer is Derek Diamond for right now. Um, you know, the I, I can't. I, they, I wish they gave us a pronunciation guide with these new kids, but the Peyton Chattig. Chick, I don't even know how to say it. He, I, I think he's got a chance to start in the <laughs> outfield. Had a hell of a fall. Ch- uh, here we go. C H A T A G N I E R. Chattagnier. I don't know. The Cypress, Texas kid. E- either way, we'll go with that. He, yeah, <laughs> he had a big fall. I think he's got a chance to secure an outfield spot. Um, I think depending on what they do at second base, if they leave Justin Bench at second base or if they stick him at center field, that could open up a spot for a couple freshmen. Uh, I think you're going to see a couple of a couple freshmen outside of Derek Diamond have impacts on the mound just because you did lose a little bit in the bullpen, not a ton. Like they still returned some arms. To, uh, Austin Miller probably going to be your closer. Taylor Broadway, your top middle reliever, but Drew McDaniel's another freshman that's got a chance to compete. I think either you know, I guess potentially for one of the weekend roles, uh, probably midweek guy, but he's got you know. Good three pitches. Both he and Derek Diamond are kind of 90 to 94. Uh, pretty advanced secondary stuff for where they're at. But those are two definitely on the mound, I would say. But what's interesting, and I always point out, is in a lot of years, the freshmen, particularly a pitching side that end up making an impact, are not the ones you're talking about right now. Because I remember last year in January writing something on Doug Nikhazy and kind of making a case that he could pretty have pretty – be a pretty invaluable left-handed reliever in a right-handed heavy bullpen. And uh, by, you know, uh, late, late March, he was literally the savior of the club and the Saturday starter and the best pitcher on the roster. So, you know, it's it's early and it's hard to tell, but I do think this team will have a uh, freshman impact because this is a big class. This is a highly rated class and you lost a lot of, uh, you lost a lot of players. So uh, there's a couple for right now. There's probably a couple more. I'm just not thinking of. Give me a couple weeks and I'll probably have a better idea. But this is an interesting Mike Bianco team because they're going to pitch it pretty well. And they've got a couple of Juco guys that I think have a chance to contribute on the mound. I, excuse me, to hit. But it's one of those things. It's kind of like the 17 team. It's like, are they going to hit enough? You kind of got to prove it. Um, it's a little different because some of these kids, I think, are more ready to go um, from the get-go than those freshmen that came in, particularly the kind of the Oxford four is what I'm thinking of. So, interesting Mike Bianco team, but definitely we'll have some newcomers contributing. Yeah, I'll leave the early baseball conversation to you. I, 
Kyle, but I, I, that I'm as locked into as, as you are. So I'll wait till like the opening weekend before I start learning about everybody. I know that's probably not the best thing to do in my position, but uh, full disclosure, I won't know much about Ole Miss baseball until I sit down and watch them. Dude, it's hard. Other than learning names, and like we we get sent the fall statistics, and I went out there once or twice during the fall. It was hard because the fall availability was during our radio show, and like you know, no no offense to number five, I uh, probably not <laughs> skipping our radio show to go to go cover a ton of fall baseball. So it's tough. But to your point, other than kind of monitoring which newcomers and stuff have had a big fall, it's not really like like no one really knows yet. Because I mean. I, I I would love to go back and check out the both my predictions for opening day lineups the last five years because uh, I think for actually opening day most of them have been pretty accurate but more more so what the actual lineup is for the team in May as they're trying to make a postseason push versus that always very fluid particularly the team with a lot of newcomers so you know uh, but the, I would say the most interesting part as far as like. Uh, freshmen and newcomers contributing. If you ask me to project the outfield right now, and I'm talking all three slots, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I could do it. I mean, you've got a. What are the chances one of the two uh, football players starts in the outfield? Yeah, exactly. And then you've got uh, you've got Kate Simmons, who's a left-handed bat that is a pretty athletic kid, um, really fast. You've got the Shat the kid's name I can't pronounce Shatguner. I, I don't know. I'm going to figure that out for Mike soon. Like you've got the two baseball kids, you've got a JUCO kid in Hayden uh, in uh, Leatherwood that I think they're probably going to have to find a place for out there in the corner spots. But you know, I, I still think they're probably going to move Justin Bench out there. Um, that's no guarantee because uh, he did play pretty well at second base when he played last year. So I don't know. Lots of new pieces to this team. The first month of the season is going to be fascinating, in my opinion. But they should be able to pitch it really well, though, at least to alleviate their. Uh, um, what an experience in the lineup and in the field. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they have a couple guys like Leatherwood, Dunhurst behind the plate, Kale Baker are all kind of power bats that you hope you can kind of piece together a pretty good middle of the lineup around Tyler Keenan. But again, until you've kind of seen it done at the division one college level, uh, you know, it, it's hard to really bank on that. Cause you mean, Again, I think some of these guys are more polished and ready to go, but I keep going back to that 2017 team with Kessinger and Dillard and Zabowski and all those guys coming in to where they really struggled at first. They got off to a pretty good start the first two years, but really struggled against SEC pitching. And then, I mean, remember there was a time where the hot take, the hot take message board thing was Gray Kessinger's only starting because of his last name. Uh, turned into a pretty good hitter in addition to being a pretty good fielder. Same with Dillard. So it takes time. So it, until you kind of see it, I will give you, if you want one, this has kind of gone beyond newcomers, but if you want one guy that absolutely has to hit for them to have any success this year, Tim Elko. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to end up playing first base if I had to guess. There's no real reason to move Keenan over from third other than his range is not very great, but so what about Kevin much, Graham? If, I think, if he's going to play first, where's Graham? I think Kevin Graham's going to DH because to, ah. it, as, as bad as I don't mean to pick on the kid, but Kevin Graham had some rough moments in the field at first base last year. You know, they stuck him in a position that he wasn't really used to. He did some okay things. Um, and I'm not even necessarily talking about the, uh, you remember the blunder down at LSU on Saturday night last year where uh, he had the ball. What, what was it? Do you remember? He had the ball 
like he, he filled a kind of a tweener between the mound and there was no one on first base. Instead of running to step on the back, he just kind of threw it to nobody. Do you remember this? I do remember that. Yeah, so that kind of, like, I'm not even necessarily talking about that. Just he kind of got eaten up by some balls and scoops and stuff. So I think he'll be better at Elko. But point being, if they're, if they're going to have success, Elko's got to hit. I mean, it's kind of make or break for him at this point. You've heard about it. He's a hell of a batting practice hitter. Really struggled last year. I think it's going to be a thing where you got to give him 25 games and just be like, look, you got this to hit, and if not, we're going to have to go in a different direction. Uh, but for them to have success, he is, uh, he's got to hit. So I will, um, I, it'll be interesting to kind of see how the middle of the lineup freshes itself out because this team has some athleticism. It's got some speed. It's got a little bit of power returning. Um just not a ton, and so I, I'm interested to see how the Kale Bakers, the Leatherwoods, the Dunhurst of the world kind of, I guess, compile a pretty formidable middle of the lineup or if they struggle. I think that'll go a long way in determining the success of this team. So anyway, that was your uh, early January baseball preview. We'll get into a ton more baseball starting next week, particularly when we have like availabilities and all that but that's that's hopefully i answered your question okay for now and that is my january baseball mode so let's see what we got next I always lose track of these things i've got it up if you want me to give you the next one yeah just go to the next one anyway you can get a weekly segment with kiffin and leach and call it the admiral and the pirate man easier said than done i would let me not the like if that were, a, I promise, if that were a remote possibility, I wouldn't just be sitting on it and be like, "Yeah, we'll do it later." Uh, <laughs> <but>, yeah, <you know, laughs> these are going to, particularly from a Kiffin standpoint, and I think you see it some with Leach. We've talked about this before. They don't really need us, and when I say us, I mean local media contingent, uh, particularly not right now. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I hope I don't sound salty. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just Matt Luke, obviously, not exactly a huge name when he uh, took the reins to this program. Kind of same with Joe Moorhead. He was the hot and up-and-coming coordinator, but the nation, like nationwide, the, the United States of America didn't really know who either one of those guys were. Well, Nor did they this care. Is quite, yeah, exactly. This is quite the opposite. Uh, these two guys, the nation knows who they are. They're high-profile guys, and the nation absolutely cares. And so when these dudes are running through, you know, an ESPN NBC car wash of Dan Patrick and Cowherd and whatever, you name it, uh, Golic, Wingo. Kiffin was on Outside the Lines featured on OTL, uh, was it Monday or Tuesday of this week? Yeah, just casually talking about going fishing with Jeremy Schaff, which is probably pound for pound one of the best investigative journalists in the world. So, yeah, (laughs) I guess that kind of perfectly underscores my point. They don't really need local media and so I think it'll be uh, – I, I, can, I can't really speak for Leach because I don't know. I think in Kiffin's case, it's going to be very Saban-like in the sense that it'll be – he'll be very reserved. He'll, access will probably be very restrictive. And until it gets to a ridiculous point, I don't really mind that because, no offense, I don't hate my job at all. But, man, when that team sucked last year and I kept dragging myself out to the practice field when it was, you know, 98 degrees in October, I was like, do I really need to be here? Like, there's no one hurt. And the answer was no, but also yeah. yes. Yeah, exactly. It's like not really, but yes, just in case. Like, you know, I mean, hell, with the way that season ended, you could pop out there and Matt Corral couldn't be out there one day, and that would have meant he transferred or something. It was kind of one of those things. Like, 
You didn't really need to, but on the off chance something happened. So uh, I guess that's a long way of saying, no, we're probably not getting that segment. But it will be interesting, the media dynamic with these two, because it's going to be a hell of a lot different than um, than it was with these last two guys. For sure. I, I'm fascinated by how Mike Leach's first bad loss is going to be received. Because like the story we talked about on the radio show yesterday, in case you missed it, The Athletic caught up with uh, 10 former Mike Leach quarterbacks and uh, basically just asked them how team meetings went. And they went exactly how you probably thought they went. Uh, no structure. Uh, One-hour meetings lasted three and a half hours, and they didn't cover football. He would pause the film and say, that guy versus that guy, who wins in a fight to the death? Stuff like that. Very out there and different and, and very Mike Leach. But, and everybody loves that right now. I, I'll love that always. I mean, wins or losses doesn't matter because that's great for us. But once, let's say he goes to NC State in week two and loses. That kind of stuff, I cannot imagine. Like people, even though they have a warning, they know that this is how he is, this is who he is, and you're not changing him. If they go to Raleigh in week two and lose, the reaction you know is coming is, well, he should work harder, or maybe the meeting should be tighter. And people will wear so thin so quickly on that dude if he doesn't like win every game he's supposed to right away. So I'm fascinated by how the how fans are going to handle him more so than I am Kiffin because Kiffin's not going to let you into like his life or the personality is different. They're they're very different guys with why they're popular and famous, and it's. I'm just I'm so interested to see how how Mississippi State fans handle the first loss to a team that they're not supposed to lose to because of all of that stuff right there. Yeah, I uh, I certainly agree with that. And then I, some guy on the text line made a pretty good point yesterday in the sense that, well, I don't necessarily agree with how he said it, but he said, you guys are blowing this out of proportion. He's not going to do this after losses and stuff. But he kind of has a point in the sense that, like, we don't really – no one really knows what like daily Mike Leach is like in terms of meeting with the media every day and stuff like that. You get all the highlights and all the weird and quirkiness, but you don't get the daily shit. So I don't really know how like Mike Leach handles losses and stuff. So to your point, it will be interesting in what he says because it's not necessarily him like, oh, is he going to talk about you know pirates and swords and stuff after they got beat by twenty? Obviously, I don't think that's going to happen. But like, what is he like? What what will he say that appeases you know the the fan base, whatever? after they lose and after things go bad, and I guess in some ways after they win and things like that. But you, I just remember from, from the Moorhead side of it, the pound sand kick rocks thing, and it's just like, dude, you just beat a really bad old Miss team uh, when there's all kinds of you know job security circulations. Like probably not the best time to go tell your fan base to pound sand. Mike Lee just been at it a little longer than Joe Moorhead. But just stuff like that, how you kind of carry yourself, and particularly with an eccentric personality, it will be uh, – Will be fascinating to kind of see how that's handled, but it's it's more so that that we're kind of getting at than like the rants about whatever the hell someone prompted him to talk about that day. Yeah, uh, there was uh, one video that went viral of his. I think it was after they, he lost to Washington this past year, um, where he called one of the reporters a sanctimonious troll because no matter what you write, it's going to be negative or something. So he's got a little little bit of that in him as well. 
I used to, for the radio show a couple years ago, have to listen to Mike Leach's every Monday press conference because they wanted something from Mike Leach every Wednesday for one of the short segments in the show. Every Wednesday, I had to find the Mike Leach cut. And so I had to listen to a lot of his press conferences, and he talks football a lot. Like, it is not exclusively pirates and shit. Like, he will talk football with them, and they do ask him football questions, but... After a loss, he was a little bit more buttoned up. I think what I'm wondering is the the stories about how non-structured everything is. After a loss, will people point back to that and be like, well, that's why we lost, because they're not working hard enough. Not that after the game he's going to start talking about his time in Key West. Like He, he seems to understand the, the room. Yeah, so where after they two decades, yeah, like he gets the room, but I, I'm wondering if that's not going to be the issue. Is well, you know, maybe if the team meetings were a little bit more buttoned up, we'd have beat NC State this week, and they're probably going to go to Raleigh and win. Dave Doran's team last year was awful, but it, just that's interesting, and I don't think you get that dynamic with Kiffin. He's he's popular for other reasons. He's popular for getting fired on the tarmac. He's popular for a nickname in Tuscaloosa that really doesn't have it's not really rooted in fact it's more of a legend than anything right <laughs> he's not popular because of his press conferences to be honest his press conferences are are they're very saban like they're boring he doesn't say much he gets in he gets out he'll drop a one liner in there maybe i mean you saw some of that on his introductory day but He's not going to be that guy ever. I, I People may expect that. I've said this five times on the radio show. You are not going to get electric press conferences with Lane Kiffin. It's not going to happen. Yep, I, uh, I certainly agree. Uh, speaking of fishing in Key West, uh, they have seafood. You know who else has seafood is LB's, University Avenue, across from Kroger. We're getting Greg's picks in just a minute. I figure too short of a second to probably have Greg back on this week just because we only got two games. Probably get him back on sometime in the next week or two to talk some meats. Uh, he always makes me hungry at that, but go see him University Avenue across from Kroger, Lane Kiffin special, eight-ounce bacon wrap filet, Keith Carter special, six-ounce bacon wrap filet. They've got sides, sausages, all kinds of stuff. Go see Greg. Really appreciate him sponsoring the show. LB's is great. You should go try it. Baseball season coming up, all kinds of game packs. Greg can get you ready to go and throw it on those small grills that I can't believe don't give people diseases at this point with how long they've been out there. But go see him, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Uh, let's see, what was the next? All right, here we go. Oh, here we go. How long do you have, buddy? What are the best and worst qualities of Mike Bianco as a coach? <laughs> <laughs> I am the wrong guy to be asking this. Uh, if you want a serious, go for answer, it, man. <laughs> if you want a serious answer, best qualities are the man is a hell of a recruiter. I mean, in all seriousness, that guy can go to Florida and get players like nobody's business. And this is the part that I think frustrates people when they're talking about like the fire Mike Bianco crowd doesn't really understand this. I am of the opinion because Ole Miss, like because Ole Miss has no scholarship advantages, and yeah, having a big stadium is cool, and yes, having people care and having ten thousand at a game on an SEC weekend is cool. But when you don't really have scholarship advantages, Mike Bianco built Ole Miss baseball into what it is. It was nothing, and I I think the day Ole Miss fires him, 
unless you absolutely nail the hire, I think it's the day Ole Miss becomes Alabama, and that's really going to bother some people. Yes, the postseason results should be better, but you know, until Mike Bianco stops and go and get stops going to get kids in Florida at a ridiculously high rate and kind of recruiting the way he is, then I, I think you should probably shelve a lot of that. It, but I guess on the flip side of that, you do probably need to go have a better postseason mark. And that kind of gets me to the other side of things is, you know, he's he's uh, I'm trying to figure out the way to describe this. His team sometimes are a reflection of himself in big moments. And that means they get super tight. I think there's a 20 year sample size of that now. Super regional struggles, regional struggles. To his credit, though, last year seemed to be kind of a turning point in that. You remember the whole storyline last year was when they kind of saved themselves in Hoover. They were loose. They were having fun in the dugout. You know, Mike Bianco was cracking jokes. He was kind of self-deprecating. They were a lot more relaxed. So maybe he's learned his lesson there. I would chalk that up on the bad end. Um, the good end, I think he knows how to piece up a lineup pretty together, together pretty good, as much shit as people give him about it sometimes. And uh, on the bad tally for that side, I would say his failure to embrace analytics and his small ball tactics don't make a ton of sense to me. But um, <laughs> aside from that, overall, the guy's a hell of a coach. He's just like he's gotten to the point, particularly with like the day and age of like the Internet and all that. He's gotten to the point where like he's only judged by postseason results. And some of that's fair. But you forget how good of a coach he is because Ole Miss's teams. And I hate making a state comparison. I'm not comparing the two programs. But, like, states, for all of their success, and they've had tons of success, they're a more story baseball program, like, whatever. Like, I don't care what you believe or not. It's just the case. But states had some teams that have finished really badly. Mike's teams rarely suck. I mean, until 17, he'd only had, what, two teams miss the tournament? I think his first team, and then, like, 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. Yeah, like, 2011. He- 2011 was the worst year in Ole Miss sports history. So I was a sophomore at the time. Uh, the football team went 2-10. The basketball team was, uh, I don't mean to put it this way, but like your typical Andy Kennedy team, like just not, they didn't win any games of consequence. They weren't able to make the tournament or anything like that. Average. And then the baseball team missed the SEC tournament. Like they didn't even make the SEC tournament that year. I can't. Re- I was too young, to, or not too young. I I just don't remember what anything about. You would have been what a sophomore in high school, a junior in high school when I was yeah, a sophomore some, in college. Yeah, something like that. I think I guess I would have been a junior. I don't remember that baseball team at all. I guess that there's probably a reason for that, but I don't remember much about it. But I guess my overall point is, I think Mike's consistency every year is taken for granted. I, I think it's hard to build a consistently good college baseball program where you don't have scholarship advantages at all. And he's done that because his teams rarely suck. They are rarely bad. They just disappoint in the postseason. So, uh, do you think last year was actually a turning point? Because that team had no business being one win away from Omaha, and I mean, and Arkansas was just better than them. Like getting to Sunday in that super regional was an accomplishment in and of itself. And as you mentioned, it felt different in the postseason. Do you think that like was actually a turning point, or just that's how things shook out last year because they didn't really belong in that position to begin with? I think it probably, I mean, there's no, I mean, he's not dumb. So you had to have learned a lesson from that is, hey, I loosened up, this team loosened up, and we kind of took flight. Uh, But what was, what's kind of messed up about that whole deal, and it's kind of the unfair, uh, tough, whatever word you want to use for it, position Bianco's in now, is to your point, that team was one win away from Omaha. 
and granted, they were a really talented team that underachieved, and because of what they did in the first half of the year, yeah, maybe they shouldn't have been there. But talent-wise, they very much should have been there. But they're one win away from Omaha, and that season gets used as an indictment against him now. I don't find that to be particularly fair in a vacuum, but I understand it given the overall history of this program. But yeah, I, I do. I think they probably... I would think as a manager, he learned something, or as a coach, he learned something from that. You know, if he didn't, then it's probably going to contribute to his demise. But I do think probably personality-wise, managing a team, kind of loosening up a little bit, not a bad thing. Because that team was having fun at the end of last year. And, you know, uh, you know, coincidentally enough, after they did that, they, they got a lucky regional draw. Uh, Illinois was a horrible two-seed or three-seed, whatever they were, and Clemson wasn't much better. But they blew through it. I mean, they blew everyone out in there. So, yes, I do. Uh, I would say my, my last answer to this question is, is my Mike Bianco theory, why he's so grumpy all the time. He, uh, I think he treats everyone in his life like an umpire. So he talks to everyone <laughs> in his life like they're an umpire. Because he talks with his hands, like he kind of gives you the, the half finger point. Like, like I, I think he talks, I think he treats everyone in his life like they just missed a strike call on the outside corner. And that's just how he's going to go about things. So that is my Mike Bianco theory, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> and there's some umpires he likes better than others. Some he's going to be nicer to than others. Some days he might kick dirt on you. Other days he might tell you you did a pretty good job in the headset. Who knows? That's my Mike Bianco theory, and I'm sticking to it. So uh, <laughs> that was a good question, to be completely honest, because you got the serious side and then the uh, not-so-serious side. What would be the ho- – this is a good question. What's going to be the highest point and lowest point sports in 2020? After I just psychoanalyze Mike Bianca, I'll let you kick off here. Uh, the lowest point will be the basketball team going 5-13 and 13 in the SEC, something like that. Um, highest point, making a bowl game. Okay. I don't I like know what that. baseball's going to do, as you mentioned, and I, I haven't watched them yet, and I'm not privy to the anything that happened in fall ball. There's just there's something off of this basketball team. And look, they had Arkansas beat. An 11 point lead in the second half uh, is a game that you should win. LSU's a winnable game on Saturday. Maybe they turn it around, but in a season, in a program that Ole Miss fans were so excited about existing, um, not falling off a cliff because they have, what, 11 newcomers on this team or 11 freshmen and sophomores on this team. So a young basketball team, growing pains of building a program with a new coach. Uh, but so many people were anticipating huge things from this team. It just hasn't worked out that way. So that'll be a low. And I think the, the football team will make a bowl game and maybe even with a win to spare. And that will have – that wherever they go, if they go to a bowl game – uh, will be Birmingham Bowl 2012 all over again. No matter where it is in the country, it can be in Charlotte for that matter, and 35,000 Ole Miss fans plus will be at that game. And just to, to rewind really quick, because I do agree with everything you just said there, the, that last point you just made was sort of the opportunity that Matt Luke and that team had this year and just weren't able to get it done, right? I mean, if they had gotten to a bowl game, this place was so desperate for a winner, they would have gotten behind that. They would have packed the stadium for a bowl game. And, you know, they had every opportunity to do it. You win a couple close games. But uh, I certainly agree. My low point will be when 
Lane Kiffin gets fired for recruiting violations before ever coaching a game. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, man. Sign message board post. No, I don't. I, uh, I do. I think the basketball team will probably be the low point. I tend to agree with that because, uh, I mean, go. Uh, I'm not going to go back into the basketball team issues. I would encourage you to go listen to a Thursday show I put up yesterday with uh, me and former Andy Kennedy staffer Bracken Ray. Really smart guy. Gets into a lot of their reasons for their struggles on the offensive ends some personnel issues, what he sees from Sammy Hunter and some other guys that aren't playing with much confidence. Anyway, not getting back in that. I do agree, though, and the overall thing I would say with that is when you have a struggling team that lacks leadership, the odds of you turning it around uh, are not very good. And so I, I do think this is going to be a struggle of a year for this Hoops team. So I would, I would definitely tend to agree with that. High point, hmm. I just I don't see, and I could be, end up being so wrong. I don't really see the baseball team making a push for Omaha with this group. Again, could be wrong. Never, no way to know. I, I'm trying to go something different from you because you already took a bowl game, and I don't want to give the same answer. But I think that's probably the right one. Um, I have here. Here's a, a hotter one. They will beat either Auburn or Florida or LSU next season. I was about to kind of go in that neighborhood. That's exactly where I was going. I was about to pull up the schedule and go, which game could I pick as an upset? There's going to be some – It like I would have said Baylor would have been a perfect opportunity if it wasn't the first game of the year. But there's going to be – I think they're going to beat someone they're not going to su- supposed to, and that's going to kind of get people fired up. And everyone will write the nice stories about how Kiffin's got it rolling and blah, blah, blah and all that. So I, uh, I think – in football, they're going to beat someone they're not supposed to beat, and I do. Uh, I agree. I think that will be the high point. Um, good question there. Let's see. Speaking of LSU, by the way, Caleb Onchezon uh, also declared for the draft. So that is eight early exits on top of Joe Burrow and then the uh, the guys that are out of eligibility and both coordinators. Oof. I am uh, I am well on the record and consistent. I am a coach Stan. I think the uh, I think. I think his comeback story is really cool, uh, whether uh, whatever Ole Miss people think of it or not. But what's interesting there, he's going to get a pass for next year just because they won a national title. They're going to be drunk for half the year, like figuratively. The fan base might actually be. Um, but like he's going to get a pass next year. How does he kind of retool this and build them into a contender again? Because I would actually say if he goes 9-3 and three next year with whatever team he has, I would say like that's kind of an indication of, okay, this guy's actually here to stay. Would you agree? If he wins would, nine yeah. games with whatever team that is next year, and I, I haven't looked at their schedule, they may be one that sets up to where they could sleepwalk to eight and just beat one team they're not supposed to. But like if he if he puts together a respectable year next year, that would kind of indicate to me of that. Uh, okay, this guy's going to be an issue for a while. Twenty twenty, they uh, have UTSA to start the season. They host Texas and Rice and Ole Miss. Uh, so actually, Rice is in. At NRG Stadium in Houston, but you can call that a home game for them, let's be honest. So they start UTSA, Texas, Rice, Ole Miss, Nichols State, all basically at home before they go to Florida and Arkansas in back-to-back weeks. They host Mississippi State, have a bye week before Alabama at home, have South Carolina at home, and finish the season in uh, Auburn and in College Station. So a very easy schedule relative to what you expect from the SEC West. Yeah, that Houston game technically is a home game for Houston, just saying. Oh, you mean Rice? I mean Rice, yes. 
I had to drive through Rice's campus to get to NRG a couple years ago. So, uh, but yeah, no, definitely. Hope, anyway, home game for LSU. I, I agree. I don't know. That'll be uh, next 2020 will be a fascinating year for LSU, not necessarily from a contention standpoint. Uh, let's see. Would TD be where he is if AK is coach rather than Kermit for his senior year? Yes. Hmm. Yes, Maybe not this way, but he would have gotten there eventually. Yeah, I think he would have gotten a shot. I do think Kermit helped Terrence Davis kind of rein in, uh, not skill set-wise, but like rein in kind of playing within the structure of the defense because though he still gambled and made dumb mistakes at times, he was a much more disciplined defender um, and a much better on-ball defender, I think, his senior year. I think Kermit Davis deserves some credit for that. But Terrence Davis, that raw athleticism and that shot is uh, that's going to play pretty much anywhere. So yes, maybe I'll go yes, but I'm not sure all of this would happen as quickly if he didn't play for Terrence Davis and didn't play for uh, Kermit his last year. That, I don't really mean that as a knock at AK. I just think I, I think Kermit and a new voice helped him um, immensely. Any transfer portal players that you might think think might come to Ole Miss? Mm. There, I suspect at least a couple. Um, they, they are exploring the transfer market at defensive back. They're exploring the transfer market at tight end. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if there's a few names out there that, uh, that we don't know yet that they are also looking at. There's a, a Georgia transfer out there that a few schools want. Um, one of which is Ole Miss and supposedly he's supposed to be in town this weekend. Uh, there's uh, the the temple. Do you think they might try on the offensive line? Because they if, need to. If last year showed anything, it's like you need like having ready to go offensive linemen is a multi year process. I think that's one of the smartest points that Cole Kublik makes that he makes repeatedly is like you don't really have any plug and play offensive linemen. Hell, Laramie Tunsil, if I'm not mistaken, didn't even start his first college game. So like, no, but he should have. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but like, avoid like even a guy like that. It's like. Like plug and play offensive linemen are very rare. So if you can go get a guy in the transfer market and kind of stick it on that offensive line, because I still think that's probably going to be a bit of an issue next year. They definitely need that. So I do think they'll be uh they'll be in the transfer market, whether it's grad transfer, whatever. I, I do think they'll be in that at a number of different spots. How many they actually fill, I'm not sure, but I'll say they get multiple transfers. The way Lane Kiffin answered that question at the press conference, I thought was was fascinating and, and refreshing as well, uh, especially at the offensive line. The the previous staff at some point the 2019 season had to come to roost, but they relied so much on just their own like homegrown young offensive linemen, where they could have really benefited from just somebody, anybody in the transfer portal to provide experience, depth, and maybe that guy wasn't out there, but. Kiffin talking so openly about you build rosters differently now. You don't just have to sign 25 guys a year. The transfer portal, transfers, junior college, allow us to build a roster the same way NFL teams do. And that's so refreshing because your job is to win games first and foremost. And if there's a guy out there that can win you games, go get him in any means, by any means necessary. And they're go- it, it feels like they're going to be a lot more engaged in the transfer market than the previous staff whether that's right or wrong we'll see but it certainly feels like they're going that direction I think it's refreshing to hear somebody just say our job's to win games I don't care how I'm gonna go get a player that can help me win doesn't matter uh, versus the alternative but that's definitely happening 
best slash worst practical joke you played on someone? Oh, God. I can't really think of any off the top of my head. Uh, we were big ring and run kids back in the day. We uh, we used to stir up shit in the neighborhood. Did you ever do that? Yeah. Um, we got one of my uh, my college roommates bad and um, lived in a, a house with three other guys, two of which uh, were, were groomsmen in my wedding, really close friends. The other one was was just kind of like a guy in our fraternity that we liked. He, I mean, he was he was fine, but. Um, wasn't exactly the first choice of roommate. He, he was just very intense and kind of like wound real tight, you know. And one day there was a fire truck in our neighborhood for some reason. Like, you know, when you call 911, a fire truck's going to come. Like, that's going to happen. Fire trucks show up. Even if there's no fire, if it's a 911 call, fire truck comes. It was an elderly person that lived on our street that like they fell down and so they called 911 and an ambulance and a fire truck showed up so we were all at the house and he was in class somewhere and uh we were taking pictures of the fire truck in our group message and like holy shit guys the house is on fire holy shit like and we were sending pictures of the fire truck and like weird angles of the house to make it look like they were about to go into our house and all that kind of stuff and this dude starts, like, responding back for us to go into the house and save his duck calls and stuff like that. <laughs> Jeez, that's very on brand. So he got up and ran out of his class and came home and didn't talk to us for weeks when he found out that the house was not actually burning down. That's a pretty good one. I, uh, practical joke. See, I, I'm not clever enough to be like a practical jokester. Like that's the best thing that I've ever been a part of, as far as messing with somebody was, because if you knew this guy too, how wound up tight he was. Like he was sweating when he got to the house. He was so nervous. Um, I've got one. I'm not clever was, like that. When I was really young, like I'm talking, like I think we were probably couldn't have been older than ten or eleven years old. Uh, aside from ringing doorbells and running in our neighborhood, we also had a bunch of old people, and. Uh, so we one day we decided, and me being the smallest of the group uh, of our like little neighborhood crew, we would put we basically it was like Christmas season, and we wrapped myself in a box, and then we would take it to neighbors' houses and just act like it was like Christmas presents, which it wouldn't really work because I know people give like neighborhood Christmas gifts, whether it's like you know like you know snacks, dressings, like some like bottle of wine, whatever. Well, this is this big gigantic box. So it was already odd enough in the first place. Uh, so people didn't a hundred percent buy it, but there were a few that did. And so I would be in the box and then pop out like 10 minutes after they put it inside their house. It scared the shit out of them. Well, one time this happened and this lady just left me there for like 10 minutes. And I was like, shit, I thought she was going to open this. So I'm just chilling in this lady's house. And then all of a sudden I see this knife come down and she's trying to open the thing. It sticks a knife in the box and I start yelling. Because it comes, like, right in front of me. I was like, oh, oh, human, human. And so then she almost had a heart attack because <laughs> she almost inadvertently uh, stabbed me. That was not a good one. Um, so that was that's about all I got. <laughs> I didn't really do a senior prank or anything like that when I was in high school. We were uh, I was on uh, thin ice at that point, I would say. Uh, I'll leave it at that. So we uh, we did not opt for a... Uh, a senior prank of any kind. We, we never. A, that was never a thing at our school. Like we just did senior skip day, but never had like a senior prank. I guess maybe we were lame. 
we had we had both like we would we had the classic day where no one would show up to school most people did one again i did not participate for a number of different reasons but uh yeah so i don't know that's about all i got i didn't have i didn't really have that many good ones let's see who are the top five returning quarterbacks in the sec hmm Ooh, um, that's a really good question. I mean, Nick's has got to be in there. Uh, Kellen Mond. Yeah, I mean, some of these are almost like default, right? Because you're losing your better ones. You lose Prom, you lose Burrow, and Tua, and Tua. So, like, most uh, Ryan Holinsky, I think, is probably the most. The guy with the highest upside that is returning as starter. I think he's more talented than Trask. And um, Mond has hit some kind of a ceiling. I don't think – I mean, at this point, uh, he kind of is what he is, isn't he? And I, I, I don't know how much more you can expect from Kellen Mond. I think Holinsky has a chance to be better than Kellen Mond. I think his ceiling is higher. Um, I mean, Garantano at Tennessee, there's not – much quarterback star power in the league right now yeah there's really not and that's going to be kind of an interesting storyline going into the league next year because i mean i'm asking in all seriousness i'm sure there are i mean are there five returning there is holinsky trask even though he may lose his job um mond garantano uh plumley slash matt corral um Bo Nix. I mean, that's really about it, right? I think that's it because LSU is replacing their quarterback. Missouri is. Vanderbilt is, even though they played like five dudes. Um, they had a graduate transfer that played for them this year, and he's gone. Um, Georgia. Yeah, so I think it's just six. No, and Mississippi State with – well – they lose Tommy Stevens, but Garrett Schrader was the guy that took more snaps. So I, I guess you can count him as returning. Yeah. So, like, even like the returning situations, like, particularly in this state, Ole Miss and State, they're not really settled. Uh, I don't even know who's playing quarterback for Arkansas. Uh, potentially, get this, Felipe Franks. Oh, I've been seeing the smoke to that, that he might be going to Arkansas. Yeah, that's out there. That wouldn't be the worst thing for, uh, for uh, Sam Pittman at all. Like, I, I think that would be, at least it's an established guy that's played a bunch of games in the SEC. You could do worse. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's not, like, the quarterback thing is going to be a storyline next year because, like, every couple years when you don't have star quarterbacks, you're like, what happened to all the quarterbacks in the SEC? It's like, well, you're not going to get four draft picks every single year, man. Like, that's not even, that's uh, not really realistic. Let's see. What are the what is the approximate dry weight of a Madagascar fruit tree bat? I don't know what that is. I definitely know this off the top of my head. This man's name is Fifty Shades of J sixty nine. This has to be someone punking me. Um, five hundred to seven hundred fifty grams. That doesn't sound like a whole lot. No, that they're uh, bats are a little, I guess. The oh, they're these uh, they're cute looking things though. Really, kind of look like dogs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Madagascan sure. flying fox. Yeah. Why do noses run but feet smell? 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, he's got a point. And then what's, <laughs> what's funny is last night, as, as, as I was, I was started reading through the questions in case there were some I need to actually do some like research on and like actually collect some thoughts and not just answer off the cuff like the baseball questions or whatever or that last one. It's, it's a. Uh, as soon as this, I read this question, I was watching Memphis and Cincinnati in the background, and Jay Billis is sitting there talking about why do we say leave your feet? Your feet are attached to you. You leave the ground. When you talk about jumping, as I'm reading this one, I'm like, geez, but like whoever invented English and all these sayings probably didn't think a lot of this shit through. Yeah. Well, people say Spanish is really easy to learn, and I beg to differ. Yeah, I, uh, I would. I wish I could speak two languages, but I'm just not gonna. I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not gonna put in the time to, uh, <laughs> to make that a reality. I'm just not. Like it, it, it's too hard. I'm probably too lazy. Maybe I could try the. Uh, what's the? Uh, it's like a book on tape, basically, on the learn Spanish. Rosetta Stone. Yeah. You tried that. I've never Apparently. tried it. Apparently, people learn languages by just watching, like, TV in foreign countries. Like, people that move to Spain learn Spanish by just watching Spain TV. I don't know how that works. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Because how do you know what they're saying to learn what they're saying? I guess, though, if you lived in another country, uh, you'd probably just pick up on it after a while. I mean, I figure some way when people living in America and they pick up English, like not most people, I'm guessing a lot of people didn't learn English by the book. Like, I, like I, I imagine just being there today, you don't really have any choice but to like assimilate somehow. So you got to kind of know what people are saying to you. Um, I did. I had a guy I worked with in Cincinnati who grew up on a military base for a little bit in Japan. And he was like, yeah, I learned a little bit of Japanese, and I didn't figure it was something that stuck with him. And then the Red Sunday uh, Japanese player the other day, and I'm watching his press conference video, and that guy, C. Trent Rosecrans, by the way, great writer for The Athletic, just all of a sudden rips off a question in Japanese. And I was like, oh, holy shit, my God. So, nice. Uh, apparently, once it happens, it never leaves you. So, yeah, I don't know. Um Let's see. What is your favorite club in the bag? Any chance of a – PGA segment every once in a while. We talk golf, I think, when it happens. Like, I'm not going to break down the uh, every tournament each week on, like, the Hawaiian or California swing. I don't think there's enough interest for that. But I enjoy talking golf. We do it when appropriate. Favorite club in the bag? Um, I don't know. I, anytime I have a wedge in my hand, I feel pretty solid about it. I'll go gap wedge. How about that? The driver, just because. Yeah. I guess I'm, t- I'm taking this question and kind of turning into favorite shot to hit. Like, if I have to hit one shot, it's probably a choke down, like, gap wedge from, like, 110. You can hit it, like, you know, half to three-quarters of a way. Uh, usually pretty solid. Anything else is kind of going off the rails for me. Um, I'm like 10 cup. I like hitting my 7 iron. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, uh, that is a great scene. Dude just hits it down the road. Let's see. Any chance you- – oh, we already read that one. Who do you expect to have a breakout season this season at Ole Miss baseball? So we sort of hit this earlier, but not exactly. Breakout season. Hmm. For the sake of the team, I'll go Tim Elko. I'll say he if, if the team does pretty well, it means Elko's done well. So if they're playing well, I'll say Elko kind of lights the SEC on fire. I don't necessarily believe that one, but I'm going to throw it out there because uh, – It'll, uh, like, if the team is good, that probably happened if I had to take a guess. So I'll, uh, 
I'll go there. And then uh, another one, Juco-wise, bat-wise, corner outfielder, uh, Leatherwood, Juco kid. And then uh, Kale Baker, who uh, won the Juco Triple Crown. Have you seen this kid? I have not. He's a uh, – I don't mean to, like, be disrespectful, but I think he kind of owns it. He's got uh, kind of like a long flow. He's got some facial hair, and he's uh, – He's just kind of your classic, like he, he's a... Oh uh, my gosh, yeah, look at this guy. Yeah, bigger Sykes Orvis, <laughs> I would say. It's very much like Sykes Orvis, Orvis whiskey meat type of, type of deal, but even better. And he's like, Six he's foot the classic. 60, he's a beefcake, man. Look at this guy. Yeah, like he's the type of guy you'd expect him, like, like he hit a home run to right field, and then when you see him go down in the tunnel, like for all intents and purposes, in my mind, he's going to like bust a heater in the clubhouse before coming back to take the field. Like, <laughs> dude, those he kind gets five oh six in JUCO. I don't care what junior college it is. Holy oh, shit! Go, go. There's a couple. Uh, there's a couple perfect game tapes on YouTube, I believe, of him hit. He he's got like he's not lacking in power. Uh, it's uh, I'm not saying he can't hit a breaking ball, but it's the pa- hey. classic Pedro yeah. Serrano. Uh, he hits straight ball far. So like, <laughs> he's got power. So I don't know. If those are three guys. I think that you know two, maybe all three of those guys on Miss are going to need to be power because again. They don't have a ton of power outside of Graham and Keenan. Who Graham, by the way, Sneaky kind of had a lot of power. You remember he clanked a couple, at least one off the scoreboard in the SEC tournament. Kevin Graham, for he wasn't always great, but he did hit a couple home runs last year where it was like, holy shit, that ball went a long way. Um, so yeah, those are a couple of guys I'll give to you, particularly at the plate. Um, you know, Dunhurst could be pretty good behind the plate, but I would say. Uh, I'm going to go with Elko for right now because I think Ole Miss is going to need that the worst. Let's see. I'm going to say one of the, who. What's more likely a win for you? I think this is referring to me. A fist fight or a round of golf versus Chase Parham and then versus Jeffrey Wright. Well, I've never played golf with Jeffrey, but I'm going to say golf just because that I'm not even like shitting on either one of their golf games. I just. I'm not winning. I don't. I've never been in a fist fight, and I'm probably not winning one. So <laughs> I'm going to say golf by default. Uh, Chase has gotten pretty good though, and then I hear Jeffrey's a pretty good player. So I don't know. I, I just I would like my chances against Tiger Woods in a golf match more than a fist fight. If if if, you, if you're catching my drift, I hear you. If Ole Miss had a former player and or booster. Hand out wads of cash to players on the field after a game. Would they get one the death penalty, two the death penalty plus a large fine? I'd go the de- de- the death penalty plus a large fine. Uh, it would we, have I been guess, treated extremely differently than LSU's was. Let's just use this as a jumping off point into the Odell shit because we haven't really talked about it since Wednesday show. Because with the whole slapping of the ass and all of that, it's kind of really blown up in the last twenty four hours. I know we hit it on the radio show yesterday, so. Uh, if you've been living under a rock and did not watch the national title game, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. seen handing wads of cash to. Who did he hand it to? Who was the receiver? It was a couple of them, wasn't it? I don't. Maybe it was a couple of them. He's on the field giving them 100s. LSU comes out with just his terrible statement that it was actually fake money. I can't. <laughs> that surely whoever was at it already started drinking. Was like, I don't feel like dealing with it. We'll see if anyone actually buys this. Of course, Joe Burrow on Pardon My Take was like, actually, I'm not a student athlete anymore. I'll tell you, it was real money, which uh, power move. I respect that. That's uh, I found, I found uh, this to be one incredibly of the Fox funny. Fox Sports 
radio national host said that Joe Burrow going on Pardon My Take, um, slightly intoxicated and spilling the beans on that is a sign of bad leadership and quarterbacks need to be better than that. Are you withholding a name or you don't remember? I know it was like the Fresca, Mike Fresca guy or whatever. Jesus. I, what is <laughs> See, that that's my thing with the internet and I'm not going to get into this rant today, but like it's just the internet is filled with people that hate fun. Or like sports media is really just filled with people that hate fun. Like who cares? You you wouldn't be drunk if you won a national title. Like he was going to have to do he slept through Golic and Wingo. I saw some people get mad about that. Like like you can't have it both ways. Yeah. Anyway, the, the two players were uh, both juniors, Justin Jefferson, the receiver, and a defensive back, uh, John Trey Kirkland. Okay. So, so both guys with eligibility left that are still on scholarship at LSU. So it makes things kind of dicey there. Yeah, it does make things kind of dicey. But I that you would th- aren't both of them thought to be going to the draft or have already Jefferson declared, are, it de- declared like two days ago. Okay. So anyway, then he slaps the cop on the the cops tell in the in the uh, locker room telling them to put out their cigars because the smoking non smoking thing. I'm sure you've seen that. And Odell Beckham Jr. decides to slap the guy on the butt, which of course, with anything Odell Beckham Jr. does, it causes just a hot take shit storm. And uh, I don't really know. I, like all I'm, I don't know. Like I think the arrest warrant probably in and of itself is probably a little excessive. But like I mentioned yesterday, if I'm walking down the square on like a Friday and I slap a cop on the butt, I'm probably getting arrested. That seems very cut and dry. So I don't really understand like the surprise or outrage about it. Uh, No, and you had the the takesmen that were drawing comparisons to if Odell Beckham was actually Drew Brees, would there be an arrest warrant out and stuff? And just people get down in those weeds and don't think with their brains, man, I— he slapped a police officer on the ass. He deserves to have an arrest warrant out for him. Like, no, he should be able to just pay whatever fine it is. It's not a big deal. But if you or I did that, as you said, we'd have gone to jail. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even, I don't. Like, if Drew like, Brees would have done that, what would have happened? Um, Drew Brees probably wouldn't have slapped a cop on the ass. So. Yeah, I mean, not, not to pull the Dan Mullen, I don't deal in hypotheticals type of thing. But yeah, exactly. Like he, he Ezekiel wouldn't. Elliott didn't slap the cop on the ass. He was in the same locker room. He didn't do it. Yeah, like, I, I, I don't get it. Nobody I, uh, slapped a cop on the ass in that locker room except for Odell Beckham. He's the only one. Yeah, and it's just, I don't know. Uh, OB, like OBJ just draw, drawing unnecessary attention to himself at all times is just kind of what he is. I don't have been, I guess this is a different conversation, but like I, like if you're a football team, what, what do you like? I get he's a hell of a talent, but like, why would you want that guy on your roster at this point? I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't want the headache. I mean, begging other teams to trade for him and uh, pulling all the shit that he does. He's not worth it at all. And, I I've, I just wonder if he's not going down the Antonio Brown road. Uh, I hope he's not, just because it's sad to watch something like that unfold. But, man, that was all levels of embarrassing the other night. Yeah, it really was. And to get into the uh, to get into what the, the, the question here, this would definitely be treated differently if it weren't LSU from a media standpoint. LSU seems to get a pass on, you know, uh, you know embezzling money from a hospital and things of that nature. Uh, that Ole Miss was kind of crucified for, but you know, that is uh, kind of a 
whatever topic for another day. I understand. Uh, can you first time listener, first time caller, long time listener, care to discuss the logistics slash details of Lane Kiffin's official visits are like? Mm, I guess I got to see one first. Yeah, they haven't really happened yet. This is this weekend's the first one where you'll um, kind of have an idea. I, I don't suspect Rippy's going to be uh, stalking recruits or anything to see what they're up to, but probably uh, not headed to the library. Yeah, that just doesn't strike me as your thing. No, <laughs> not quite. I'll leave that to the other uh, recruiting big J's. Here's well, a great my question. question: Is do people actually want that information? I, I, I'm not. I'm speaking in generalities, not in direction towards one person. But like, do people really want like a minute by minute update of official visits? I, I kind of would rather just let them handle, you know, let them handle it. There's a creepiness element to that that I would really just like to like. In term, I'm not saying like not talk about it now. I'm talking about like just like. I wish people would leave alone. I found that to be very, very strange. Uh, yeah, you're one of our last ones. Here's a good question. I got a mailbag question for you. It's from a buddy of mine. Said Collins and I were arguing about it last night. What are the schools Ole Miss would leave for? I think the list is closer to ten: Bama, UGA, LSU, Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, Oregon, USC. Uh, USC probably not happening. What are the schools uh, I say that Clemson Kiffin probably not. Michigan would make an argument. Uh, Collins, the buddy, seems to list seems to think the list is a lot smaller. Hmm. Wait, I don't wh- know what, what are the schools that Kiffin would leave for. It's like ten. It's basically all the blue bloods you would think of. Ten uh, is basically. He's asking if it's bigger or smaller than ten is a simpler way to to phrase the question. Okay, let's go by conference. Big Ten, Ohio State, yes. Okay, uh, but. Uh, on those, on those, uh, it's interesting to me. It, and nowadays, with the TV revenue, and you're about to get another gigantic boost, it, like the pie is going to keep getting bigger for these SEC schools with this new the CBS deal, and that being a criminally underpaid t- television rights thing. They're all about to get a shit ton more money there. My question is: in this day and age of college football, in the day and age where Ole Miss and Mississippi State can pay a head coach five million dollars a year, if he's one at a level that those schools would want him. Then he's built something absurd here. So, are there really that many jobs he's going to leave for if you can pay him, you know, five, six? At that point, if that happens, I wouldn't be surprised if Ole Miss forked up seven million dollars. Point being, he's being paid handsomely. He's built up something. Are there really that many jobs he would leave for? Because the money isn't what, like, the discrepancy isn't what it used to be. That's no, the fascinating part of this to me. Uh, Ole Miss would pay whatever it took to build a winner. They, they would find a way financially to compete with anybody in the country uh, as long as they found it worth it. If Kiffin was winning at a high level, money would not be the issue. I guess the question would be for him is whether or not he actually thinks he could win a title at Ole Miss. That, that will be the difference between him staying and leaving. Yeah, there are jobs that you'd rather have over Ole Miss, and a few of those are going to be open here in the near future, I suspect. But if he thinks he can win a title at Ole Miss, then those jobs being open won't matter because you'll be financially competitive. And if he thinks he's got it to where he can compete nationally, why would he go anywhere else? It's I don't know. I mean, your point. That's why a good I think one. the answer to this is the list is smaller because I don't think this is the 1990s anymore, no. or even earlier than that. I think the money has gotten so even. And again, to the point, if jobs like Ohio State, Texas, Georgia, somebody like that wants him, then he's won at an absurd level here. No, I'm not naive to think he's not going anywhere. I mean, Dan Mullen won at a ridiculous level at State and left for Florida. I get all that. I'm not saying there aren't jobs out there. I just think the list is smaller. 
and it would have to do more than fit. Like, Dan Mullen didn't take the Florida job simply because it's Florida. It's because he's familiar with it. He's recruited there before. I mean, he spent a lot of time there, a lot of good memories. Like, it was a fit. Like, Dan Mullen, you know, I mean, Tennessee wouldn't come to swipe, like, tried to swipe Dan Mullen. He basically used it as leveraging. Like, I think it's more about fit than it is sheer just, oh, look at this program. They have a lot of money. You know, it's Texas. It's Ohio State, whatever. I would say it's like five or six jobs, honestly. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm not even stupid, but I, I think it's like five or six. You're not. There's a reason why we talked about the TV deal on the radio show so much because it's a huge deal, and it 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 never gets enough credit. And it's why I, I bring it up and put it in the show notes so much because I think it's an important thing that nobody talks about enough. The SEC already pays out at schools more money than any other conference. And it's about to get a 20 to $25 million raise in that payout. $25 million for Ole Miss, it does mean – I know everybody that's in the SEC gets money. That's a lot of money. That's a, that's, a, that's a fifth of their athletic budget. That elevates Ole Miss over the programs that you would uh, assume were on equal stature. And, like, I think Ole Miss is a better program, a more attractive job than a Virginia Tech now. But people still put them on the same level. An extra $25 million a year, I think, simply puts Ole Miss ahead of a Virginia Tech, ahead of a Michigan State. Programs where people think that they're on the same level, even though I, I disagree with that sentiment, that kind of money, what that can do to your program with your ability to, to hire coaches and support staff and build facilities and update facilities is – a huge deal, and I don't think it gets talked about enough. Yeah, we're on the same page there. That was a good question, though, because it is interesting to think about. I, I think it's, again, I think it's just closer to five or six than it is ten. Now, maybe they're ten. I, I don't know. Maybe it's ten. Maybe I'm wrong. I just, I have a hard time believing that he's just going to leap. Like, it's, like, when, another example, the last thing I would close on, how many times in the last, like, 30 years has Ole Miss and State actually had a coach come in and leave and stop on his way to something bigger? I don't I mean, Mullen? Who else? I guess Tommy Tuberville? But, like, that was a little different because that was very much Olden Day's little old Ole Miss coming off probation. Like, outside of that, not really. I mean, I guess there hadn't been a good example because there were other reasons <laughs> Keith Freeze wasn't getting other jobs. But, um, yeah, I, I just I don't think it's as cut and dry in that. I think the list is smaller. Maybe I'm dumb, though. Let's see. Last question we had was, I think y'all debated this on the radio show, but better season. This is a different, actually, debate than we had. Better season, Burrow or Cam? Like, this is Cam Newton 2010 versus Joe Burrow this year, but it's better season. It's not talking about better. I, I tend to side with Cam because, as you you add that stat, that, that what that, no one on that 2010 Auburn offense outside of Newton is taking an NFL snap. They're not a single running back or wide receiver has okay. taken one snap in the NFL. The only other player on that offense that did anything in the NFL was, I think, a guard. It was an offensive lineman, and they are no longer in the league. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's a wow. I'm going to give the Joe dog. Burrow's offense has at least one wide receiver that's a first-round pick, probably two, a running back that's going to get drafted and be on a roster this year, three at least offensive linemen that probably will start in the NFL next year. It's very different. He was exceptional, but, man, it's it's tough because the numbers say Burrow, but the optics, if that's probably not the best word, say Newton. 
they're two of the best offenses I've ever seen in person, bar none. Because Cam Newton was such a transcendent talent and you hadn't really seen anything like that again, and again, you hadn't really seen anything like Burrow's completion percentage and accuracy, but I'll give the nod to Cam slightly, but man, you're really splitting hairs because what Burrow did through the air, you really haven't seen before, but Cam did it with his feet too. I mean, Cam was catching, throwing, running touchdown passes. I mean, I, uh, I'll give Cam the slight nod, but it's, it's, it's just, just barely. Uh, I believe that's all the Mailback Friday questions we had. That was a pretty good turnout. We went a solid hour there. The last thing we have to do is the LB's Pick'em. Go see Greg, University Avenue, across from Kroger. We really appreciate Greg sponsoring the show. I texted him this morning. Oh, here we go. Greg's picks are in. I got him. They've just in the lick of time. But go see him, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. They've got game packs for baseball season, steaks, custom cuts, He's always cooking back there, plate lunches, uh, sausages, all kinds of stuff. You can go eat lunch there and then figure out what you want to throw on the grill later on in the weekend or for dinner or for whatever. Go see him, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Last thing before we get out of here, it is AFC Championship weekend. Let's pick some games. We've got two left. It is the Titans versus Kansas City. And this is a seven. Make sure I have this right. Let's see. Seven point seven seven point line now. So the other one is actually bigger. We'll get to that in a second. It is now Tennessee Titans plus seven. Who you got? I'm, I'm definitely taking the points. I don't know if they're going to win outright, but a, a team that's as physical as the Titans with the ability to control the clock and slow the game down, and you're giving me a touchdown, I'll take it. I know Mahomes is great. I, I don't think that the Titans could compete with the Chiefs, if it becomes a track meet, if Kansas City's able to do whatever they want offensively, I don't think the Titans will keep up. But I don't think the Chiefs are going to be able to do whatever they want offensively. So it'll be a game that moves quickly, but a time-wise, but a slow-moving football game with a lot of ball control from the Titans in a physical game. And if you're giving me seven points, then, then I'll take it. I, uh, I t- obviously, I'm going to agree. My pick doesn't really count here. I'm biased. If I'm picking Titans, I got to root for them. Uh, so I, I'm taking the Titans here. This is going to be an exciting day. Uh, just seeing the Titans in an in a AFC championship game is going to be weird because I don't know. I was like five the last time it happened. Um, but what an incredible run. It's been, incre- it's been fun to watch them. Um, what's interesting is this is not exactly how they looked in the regular season. Like Henry was a beast. But it was more so Tannehill pushing the ball down the field, and you're like, man, this team's unstoppable because they're incredibly balanced. And now they've just ridden this ridiculous run from Henry. So can like there's gonna I think there's gonna come a time because the Chiefs defense, as bad as their run defense was early in the year, they've gotten a ton better. Um, they're really gonna need Chris Jones healthy if you want to put some Mississippi flavor into this. Uh, for in, in stopping Derrick Henry, which I, I should say slowing down Derrick Henry. Um, so you know. I just I think there's going to come a point in this game, not because they're slowing down Derrick Henry, but if but if the if the Chiefs get up a score or two, there's going to be a time where Ryan Tannehill is going to have to lead a drive or two where he makes throws, and I think he's capable of doing it. But again, doing it in the biggest game of his life is a whole different story. So I'm going to go Titans plus seven here, but that was kind of what I guess if I'm given a couple of things to look for in the game, Chris Jones healthy. And can Ryan Tannehill make enough throws to keep Tennessee in this game? Because to your point, 
Tennessee can slow down the tempo a little, but it's still the Chiefs. It's still they're still the most prolific offense in the NFL. Like they're still going to have to score to keep up, no matter how much they slow the game down, because it's not like the Ravens who run it a bunch and use up a bunch of clock. Mahomes can score on three plays from sixty yards out, and like it's nothing. So it's at some point this is going to in this run this is going to fall on Tannehill's shoulders, and can he get it done? I'm going to go Titans here. Greg likes Titans money line. He said he likes the Titans outright. He said he doesn't want the points. What a run that would be if they make the Super Bowl, man. Ryan Tannehill going back to Miami where they gave up on him in the Super Bowl? Versus Aaron Rodgers? Yes. Sign me up. Yes. Yeah, that would – oh, man, that would be – now, if Tannehill goes to the Super Bowl and wins the Super Bowl in that stadium, like if, if I were him, I would just retire right then. Like, <laughs> money aside, you've reached the peak. Like it's probably one of the biggest power moves in NFL history. Though he, I mean, I've read about it. He understands why they moved on. He disagreed with it, but like he, he was, I guess, self-aware and understanding. So Greg's going Titans money line. So uh, if Greg says it, it's it's got to come true. The other one is interesting. San Francisco. Uh, Green Bay at San Francisco. This line has actually moved to a bigger line than the other one. It is now San Francisco minus seven and a half. Um, I think I, I might lay the points and take the Niners here. I just, I think this, we've already, I know it's a playoff game and it's different, but we've already seen this once this year. Aaron Rodgers went out west, that team went out west and laid an egg. It's just, San Francisco is so good. I mean, they're the best team in the NFL, in my opinion. I mean, they, they're, they're faster than you offensively. They have a ridiculous defense. I just, I think they're going to roll them, too. I, I'm going to go San Francisco here. Um, I will say the Packers have run the ball better, and the Packers have a good defense. Do you get a vintage Rodgers game where he just kind of carries them? I don't know, but I'm, I'm going San Francisco here. Tend to agree. And, what is your uh, most desired Super Bowl, though, and then least desired? I think the least interesting, and I'll, I'll put like fandom aside, I think least interesting is probably Niners Titans. Yep. But on the flip side of that, it may be Titans Packers. On the flip side of that, Niners Chiefs would be awesome. That's my. I think that's my desired outcome. Sign me up for that. It, that would probably give us the most compelling game, if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, because I, I would like that better than I would like Packers Chiefs, I think. Yep. So, I don't know. Going to be a wild weekend of football. We've only got, uh, really, this is your last kind of football weekend left, so savor it up. But that has been Mailback Friday. Appreciate Greg and his picks. Greg also laid San Francisco here, too. I forgot to mention that. So, those are Greg's picks. Go get rich off of them, because uh, we actually both fell in line with Greg's picks to, to some degree here, so... Uh, you know, go get rich off of that. But that's about all I've got for today, unless you, unless we missed anything. No, we, we didn't do much uh, Astros additional scandal. So I think we will uh, we'll do that on the radio show. Absolutely. And then we can do it Monday because I got a feeling this is not going away anytime soon. We may have more movement over the weekend, but we've already gone long enough. We'll hit that on Monday. But we appreciate you guys' questions. Appreciate you participating in the people's holiday <laughs> my t-shirt guy is uh is staying on me about this shirt so i'll look into that <laughs> today and see if we can get some people's holiday t-shirts but if you like what you heard today like and subscribe to the podcast tell all your friends to come hang out we really appreciate it for michael borky i am brian scott ribby we'll be back at it on monday a super talk mississippi media production